What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shape Daily Live, where tonight we have the pleasure of talking about yet another Cardinals come from behind victory at Fenway Park. The Cardinals beating the Red Sox on Saturday afternoon, 4-3, to three, thanks to some more late heroics against Kenley Jansen. Yes, Alex Cora decided to go back to the well with his closer, and the Cardinals once again beat him. And they did it once again with some help from Nolan Gorman. But there were other people involved in that ninth inning rally as well. We're going to break down that ninth inning rally. I think, honestly, guys, that's the way I start off this podcast tonight. Uh, just because that was uh, probably the thing everybody was most excited to discuss. So let me know what your thoughts were about it as I kind of break it down a little bit. And then we'll dive right into the comments. I see we've already got the comments going a little bit. If you've got questions or comments about the game itself or about the Cardinals at large, this is the time to ask them uh, real quick, if you will subscribe to the channel within one minute, you'll be eligible to make a comment on the stream in the top chat section. So appreciate you guys for being with me tonight. Reminder that you can also catch B-Shape Daily on Spotify and Apple Podcast in audio-only form. And uh, if you really want to go the extra mile to support the content on this channel, patreon.com slash bshafer12, same as my Twitter handle, same as the YouTube account. That is the way to do that. Okay, let's talk about that ninth inning because the Cardinals were in a situation today where I wasn't sure. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't really know if they were going to be able to come back. Chris Sale was good. Uh, this stage in his career, you don't want to see Chris Sale being as good as he was against the Cardinals today, but he goes eight innings and he was hyper-efficient. Nine strikeouts for Sale. All he really gave up was the home run to Arenado. And I kind of noticed too, I don't know if you guys saw this, Coming out of that sixth inning, Cardinals were getting ready to bat in the top of the seventh, and it was Arenado that was due up first. And they showed it on the Bally broadcast, Arenado just like literally sprinting into the dugout with this look on his face like he was tired of losing 3 nothing. He breaks the shutout in the very next hit bat, first batter of the seventh inning. But that's all that Chris Sale gave up in this game. Again, eight innings, nine strikeouts for Sale, just the one earned run coming in the seventh on that Nolan Homer which was great to see, right? The fact that Arenado is starting to look more like Arenado is something the Cardinals, I think, are really going to need moving forward. Uh, the start by Steven Matz was, uh, again, kind of meh, but meh is better than what the Cardinals rotation has been getting. He it was the only guy to record an out in the sixth inning on the entire turn through the rotation. He went five and a third on Sunday against the Tigers, and today goes five and a third. In between that, you had four Cardinals starters pitch, none of them recording an out in the sixth inning. Mats goes five and a third, three runs, eight hits, four strikeouts, a walk, no homers allowed, but uh, gives up a, a number of hits and, and a few runs score because of it. He kind of settled in to be able to give the Cardinals a little bit more length than they've been getting, but I don't want to throw a parade as a result of five and a third. Um, the Cardinals do need more from their rotation. We'll continue to say that every day until it stops being true. But for right now, it does remain true. But Steven Matz did keep the Cardinals within striking distance, and boy, did they ever strike in the ninth inning. So I want to break this down. Remember yesterday, they get the rally against Kenley Jansen. It, it begins with the, the walk by DeYoung, and he steals second base. And Jansen comes back in again today, and the Cardinals think, huh, maybe we could try that again. It worked out really well last time. Uh, so let's just try to get that leadoff man aboard. Let's steal second base. I was a little surprised that they were actually stealing second base in this situation, given that that run wasn't the one that meant anything. But doesn't it just kind of feel like when you steal second and you do it successfully, it sort of opens everything up? 
And I just think that was one extra thing that Jansen had to think about. And believe me, Wilson Contreras was giving Kenley Jansen plenty to think about as it was, but a nice feel for the moment by Paul Goldschmidt to go ahead and take second base just to add that little extra dose of pressure. But I want to talk about this Wilson Contreras plate appearance because I think we saw today Wilson Contreras at his finest doing the types of things that we've talked about him doing to opposing teams since he joined the Cardinals. And we've spent a lot of time in the offseason and spring training kind of expecting those sorts of things to happen that he kind of gets under your skin as an opponent, right? He's the kind of guy that you love to have on your side when things are going well, but when you play against him, eh, you kind of get this icky feeling. Well, the Red Sox had an icky feeling tonight because he was at it again, back at it again with the White Vans. He was back at it with the pitch clock manipulation, if you will, his ability to stand in the box, but only get in there at the perfect time that benefits him. And Kenley Jansen seemed not to understand the rule on the pitch clock violation. The fact that he's got to make eye contact, basically, with Wilson Contreras before Kenley can get set and begin to deliver a pitch to home plate. He was continuing to rush that process. Wilson Contreras, knowing the rules, understands that I have until I believe it's eight seconds. Uh, if we're having some stream issues, then I apologize. That's going to be kind of unfortunate. Um yeah, this is the revenge of Spectrum. I, I talked all kinds of shit, and now we're back into an issue. Um, so hopefully we end up having uh, the ability to get through that. But if not, we'll have to we'll have to learn some things. Um, but I'm just going to continue to talk. Let me know if it ends up uh, getting better. Um, luckily, the audio is going to be something that works for you. I'm going to stop real quick and make a comment, and uh, just let me know, guys, uh, when it's back because there's not a lot I can do about it. But I'll say this. Uh, yeah, the stream is glitching. I hear you. There's nothing I can do about it. So we're going to keep riding. I can't I can't change it, can't fix it. Um, we'll try to continue to work on it. But we're talking about the ninth inning there with Wilson Contreras and what he does in that at bat to take two balls from Kenley Jansen, but only see those two balls and somehow end up on first base with a walk. His ability to get into the head of the pitcher was extremely impressive in that moment. We've talked about it being something that Wilson Contreras is capable of doing, just kind of getting under the skin uh, back at Wrigley Field when he ends up uh, doing some of the things that he does with the extra base hits, and he's he's basically playing to the crowd, egging them on. He's happy to be booed in those moments. He's kind of a full heel. If you're familiar with like WWE, that's Wilson Contreras in those moments being able to uh, just just tap into some of the cockiness and the bravado that he's able to bring to the table. But then in this case, it's just a really good understanding of the rules, honestly. Uh, like the fact that he knows I don't have to be set until eight seconds. I don't have to be staring into the pitcher ready to hit until eight seconds on the pitch clock. And anytime before that, I can do what I want. And he's got a feel for it. And I think there's been a time or two where maybe it's backfired on him. But today he was dialed in on exactly what that needed to be. And he knows that Kenley Jansen, he's a guy that kind of wants to work quick and be able to get things rolling as, as fast as possible. And so he plays that to his advantage. And he says, I'm not going to be in that spot until I absolutely have to be. And if he starts to throw a pitch or get set before he's allowed to do so, that's going to be a ball. And ultimately he ends up walking because of it. And so now you've got Goldschmidt on second base. You've got Kenley Jansen completely out of his element. I mean, if you're on the mound and you feel like, what do you mean a pitch clock violation? I had eight seconds left. 
and you really don't have a, a firm understanding of why they're continuing to call these against you. He had another one later in the inning as well. It's just absolutely insane that it continued to happen. And I tried to imagine what it would be like if the shoe were on the other foot. And it was Cardinals fans having to deal with a situation like this. And I think people would have absolutely lost their minds collectively. And so the fact that the Cardinals are the ones kind of doing, I don't even know if you can count that as small ball, right? Like it's, it is kind of the, the nuances of the rules that you're able to take advantage of. I guess it qualifies as small ball. It's small ball in the 21st century. It's small ball in 2023 when the pitch clock is a factor and Wilson Contreras was playing it. I really thought Arenado was going to absolutely unload on a pitch thereafter, um, but he was ultimately ultimately uh, not able to do that. He pops out. But then later in the inning, you start the uh, the pinch hit train that worked out so well for the Cardinals. Uh, Nolan Gorman, no surprise with the double. They held up Wilson Contreras at third. He was the tying run, and it was like, you had this grand desire to go ahead and tie the game right here and send him, send him, send him. But then as you saw the play develop, it was like, wait a minute, this is the right call. They shouldn't have sent him. They didn't send him. They were smart about it. It felt kind of hopeless in the moment because you thought, oh no, how are they going to find a way to blow this when they absolutely had their chance to be able to make something happen here and tie the game that, you know, what if the next two guys pop up? What if you get a strikeout and a pop up, something like that? Like then you, it would have felt really bad to lose the game there if you're the Cardinals. But they don't lose the game, obviously. And uh, I don't know if you can credit the offense too much for the reason that they were able to win it. Brennan Donovan, the pinch hitter for Carlson, I agreed with that moment. Uh, and and J-Row mentions a good point that Contreras had to pause for a potential catch there. And, like, I'm not criticizing the base running, anything like that. I'm just remembering the behind. They had a good image on the broadcast as it was happening live. You're behind home plate. You can see Contreras is just rounding the bag at third. He's just now getting to third when the ball is basically back to an infielder just on the edge of the outfield grass. There was no way he would have been safe at home plate. It would have been a bad send. And so it was smart that they didn't send him. Okay, bring in Donovan, second and third. Thought it was really smart to pinch hit Donovan for uh, for, for uh, Dylan Carlson in that spot, even though it hashtag everyday Dylan and everything like that. But it, they needed contact in that moment. And Brendan Donovan, lefty, righty, doesn't matter, but particularly against a, a, a tough reliever like Jansen, you just need to put the ball in play at that point. There's still only one out, and so unless you line out double play, it's really hard to, to end the game there in a negative way. Uh, but ultimately, the Red Sox agreed that that wasn't the situation that they felt was favorable to them, so they walked Donovan, the pinch hitter. And then you get another pinch hitter, and a situation that <laughs> I looked at it and you go, When's the last time that Alec Burleson has even played? Like he took one, I, I looked at it. He took one at bat in Chicago and then one in the uh, the Tigers series, I think. We haven't seen a lot of Alec Burleson, despite how much he played at the beginning of the year. They have started to kind of find their groove with what a, a daily lineup looks like versus left and then a daily lineup versus right-handed pitching. And Burleson has not been a part of either. And so the matchup, I think, dictated it. And I also feel like Burleson's a guy that, could potentially put the ball in the air uh, relative to Paul DeYoung, who's the guy he pinched it for. You remember on Friday, Paul DeYoung had the ground ball double play with the bases loaded. Uh, fortunately, there were nobody out in that situation, and so they did score one run on that. But the last thing right there that you want is a ball on the ground. And so uh, they bring in Burleson, who hits a ball on the ground. Uh, and it was, it was kind of a chopper to second, a little bit slowly hit. And so you're thinking... If they had a guy with any speed, you probably can break up the double play. But when that ball was was getting into the glove of the second baseman, I was thinking, 
this is this is going to be a heartbreaker. I did not think that the thing that was about to unfold in front of my eyes uh, was about to happen. But I want to give credit, and let me know if you guys agree with this. And again, sorry for the stream glitching a little bit. It's something we'll just have to kind of deal with as time goes on and, and see if we can't uh, work it out a little bit better. But let me know, if you're hearing me now, let me know what you thought about Brendan Donovan's role on this potential double play ball that ends up going the way of the Cardinals in order for them to win the game. Because I thought, watching it live, that he made an absolutely heady play. Because typically, what do those guys do? Running from first to second? Eh, they kind of jog in. or they If they're not close enough to actually do like a breakup slide to try to you know, take the guy out at second base, which you can't technically do anymore. But as long as you're sliding through the bag, you can you can still make an aggressive slide. You just can't veer off path of the bases and and try to knock somebody out that way. But Donovan wasn't even close enough to be able to make that sort of impact. So what does he do? He stops running. He just stands there. And then he, you know, I, I was like, well, could they call an interference? I feel like if a runner's in the base paths and he like jumps and tries to headbutt a throw, which you'd have to be insane to do. But, like, if he intentionally puts his body in the way of the throw, obviously they would call uh, some sort of interference for that. But Donovan doesn't do that either. He does absolutely the smartest thing possible. Just stands there, first of all, so he's in the field of vision as the the shortstop is trying to figure out, you know, the, the throwing lane that he wants to use to get it to first base. And then by the time the throw is in action, he just ducks. It's like a whack-a-mole situation where he just hits the deck, and I am absolutely convinced that that was enough chaotic motion in the middle of the base paths about, I don't know, 35 to 40 feet or so. He's a little more than halfway from the second base bag. And he's doing all of this motion. I, I cannot imagine that it didn't impact the fielder. I don't know if the, the thrower was asked about it after the game. I don't know if there were public comments made. I'm just telling you in the moment watching it, I thought that is a genius move by Brennan Donovan. And it works like a charm. The ball gets away. The Cardinals score not only the tying run, but the go-ahead run. And then you get Gio Gallegos to come through uh, in a situation where I didn't really think Ryan Helsley would be available today, even though you had the off day uh, sandwiched in between there on Thursday. I just kind of felt like they had been riding him pretty hard recently relative to what they're comfortable with. And so Gio ends up coming through. But how about that ninth inning? I, you know, we can make it be like a hockey game. You give out the one star, the two star, and the three star of the game. The first star to me might even be Brendan Donovan. And all he did in this game was run the bases. He took an intentional walk where he didn't even have to to take an at-bat. And then he runs about halfway to second base and he falls down. I thought that was such a pivotal play. Uh, Contreras, just as if not more pivotal with the way he was able to work that walk. And I think that had an impact on everything that happened for the remainder of the inning with Kenley Jansen. Oh, and then there's Nolan Gorman who actually got a, a an extra base hit to drive in one of the runs and set up the rest of it. So, those three guys in particular, uh, Goldschmidt should should get some credit too for working the leadoff walk, taking second. Everything sort of compounded on itself, and it had to be a very desperate, helpless feeling to be a Red Sox fan in those moments. But how about the Cardinals taking advantage of the opportunity? Just impressive stuff. I'm going to go ahead and take a drink of water. I want to hear what you guys think about this uh, and, and the way that ninth thing unfolded. But uh, real quick, if you want to subscribe to the channel to be able to chat, all you got to do is click the button. And then within a minute, you'll be able to join the chat on your screen right here on YouTube. Going to take a drink and get right into the comments. But what a win for the Cardinals. Another series win. Now they'll obviously have a chance to go for the sweep on Mother's Day. But to win the series the way that they did, two ninth-inning comebacks against Kenley Jansen, things might be starting to turn around for this Cardinals team, even though the starting pitching really hasn't.
Okay. We're going to dive right into the comments now. So uh, kind of a more intimate setting. I think some people probably left because of the stream issues. Apologies for that. It ain't going to look good on T-Mobile if we have a bunch of issues moving forward. But I also know there will be a way for me to kind of play with it in, in my house a little bit and see if I can't move the uh, the router around and try to get a better connection. But uh, for now, it's what we got. Uh, Trevor is correct that it's five of six now for the Cardinals. Miles, hello. J-Ro, what's going on? And Connor says we are back. Um, James says, what an amazing surprise. He had an awesome date night at Twisted Tree, and now we're going with the nightcap. The late night be safe daily. Uh, a great end to uh, to the night. It's not the end of the weekend. I was going to say end of the weekend. We still got Sunday. Still got Mother's Day yet to go. What's going on, Spencer? He says, with Albert leaving last year, Gorman became your new favorite Cardinal as a Phoenix local. So happy for that kid raking. And uh, I couldn't agree with that more. I said at the beginning of the year, this was my bold prediction, that Gorman would be an all-star this season. I don't know if it's possible to do without starting against lefties. But then again, like for all the calls that we've made about, yeah, Gorman should be in there every day, put him in there against lefties, give him give him a chance, right? He wouldn't have been deployable in the ninth inning of either of these games. That is something that's really interesting. When you have a, a bat that is so platoon-oriented that he doesn't start consecutive days because the, the opposition throws a lefty, to be able to put him in and like plop him into a game at the most opportune time, I would have to imagine that like the analytics and the the win probability added kind of stuff would really favor that to say, hey, if he doesn't add a lot of win probability in at bat one, at bat two, at bat three, or even as, you know, depending on when they get into the, the bullpen and maybe he'll face a righty, if he's not going to add win probability in those first few at bats against the lefty, but then you can guarantee that a lefty against a righty is going to take the most important at bat of the game, and that lefty also happens to be a guy with an OPS above 900 for the season, there has got to be some merit to that, I think, from a strategic standpoint, and the Cardinals have benefited from it two days in a row. I'm not saying that long-term it's fair to Nolan Gorman to say that he's only going to be a bit player in these games, which he was the most important guy probably in both of the last two wins for the Cardinals, even though he didn't start. So, like, I don't know how you square that circle, but it is really interesting to think about that for as much as we've had conversations about how eventually, unless the Cardinals are really going to stunt his development, they need to let Nolan Gorman play every day. They're winning games because of the ability to bring him off the bench late. And the fact that he was so clutch two times in a row to come through is some really impressive stuff. Um, so kudos to Gorman. But Spencer also says, am I the only one rooting against Matt's a bit just so we don't have to keep dealing with it? I think you might not be the only one rooting against Matt's, but that's two in a row where he hasn't gotten shelled and he's at least gotten past the fifth inning. He's pitched into the sixth in consecutive games. I know that is an incredibly low bar that we're talking about right now with the Cardinals rotation, but it's relevant. Like, I, I don't think you can replace Steven Matz with Matthew Libertor right now because the last couple of times through, if you look over the last six Cardinals games, Matz has pitched twice, and those two outings are the only ones in which the Cardinals have had a starter pitch into the sixth, which, again, is not like you're throwing a parade for him but I do think we've seen some signs of improvement. Uh, I, I was getting some messages during the game from the ghost of Einstein, who we see often on the stream here, uh, making his comments. He was watching Matt's very closely and seemed to, to sense a little bit of an uptick in velocity on the fastball, which I was noticing as well, that his fastball looked like it had some life to it. The curveball still is not something that Steven Matz appears comfortable with, though, and I feel like maybe you get that pitch back, which is probably easier said than done. If he could just do it, he would have done so by now. 
But I wonder if he can maybe at some point find the way to get that pitch back or just to phase it out in a way that he's not really debilitated by it. Maybe Steven Matz could end up being, I don't know, a solid number four in your rotation. Like, I'm not asking a lot, and I don't think Cardinals fans are either. Uh, but they do want to see Libertor. And I feel like, Spencer, to your point, people kind of looked at, at Matz as the guy that was the most easily replaceable because even though he has a contract, uh, the pedigree in terms of his like familiarity with St. Louis isn't so high because he was hurt and pitched poorly last year. And it just seems more viable that maybe they would move him out of the rotation than someone like Flaherty, who has struggled worse than Matz to this point in the season, but has been a Cardinal, a veteran, most uh, starter in this rotation behind Adam Wainwright. So a little bit tricky, uh, but I, I wouldn't make a habit of rooting against Cardinal starters because they have they have enough on their plate as it is, and they uh, they definitely need to improve. But as J-Row mentions that Matz has had two decent outings, enough for some room, but despite his improvement, what is the stall on moving up Libertor? Kid has earned a shot. Libertor has earned a shot. Tell me now, though, who do you who do you put in there instead? Because the optics have taken out your best starter over the past week and a half, uh, you know, at least the past six games, which has been Steven Matz, which, again, low bar to clear, but that's those are the numbers. Five and a third, gave up one run, then tonight gives up three, which is not a quality start in either case, but it keeps you in the game in both of them. And uh, the Cardinals did win both of those starts. Granted, on Sunday, it was because of a huge rally against the Tigers' bullpen. But I digress. Like, you're not replacing Mats with Libertor right now. I don't think there's any justification for it. Does Libertor deserve a major league shot at this point with the way he's performing? I think he does. I just don't think there's an obvious answer. And it's kind of back to where we were in the first couple of weeks of the season when we noticed that the rotation was struggling, but there were, it was very difficult to kind of parse out what you actually do about it. I think that's back where we are because unless you have another name to provide me and I, I people are going to say, well, what about Wainwright? He's had two really bad starts. Yeah, he's given up four runs twice in, in five innings and that's like an ADRA. It's not going to cut it in the long run, but they're not going to replace Adam Wainwright in the rotation after two starts. You guys know that as well as I do. Um, Jack Flaherty, we know they're not replacing because, because, hey, guess what? Wilson Contreras back behind the plate. I'm going to talk about that too if you want my take on that. Um, I, I'm going to give that after I get a little bit more into the comments. And if you want to know about it right now, ask it as a comment because that, that'll give me a chance to kind of go off about it. I'll tell you what I think about it. I think it's a little, you know, if you think it's a little fishy, I think you're probably right. Uh, but I think all's well that ends well if they're going to get Wilson back behind the plate um, because I, I believe he, he needs to be there with the way the Cardinals are constructed. But I just don't know where you find the room to, to fit Libertor in. I understand Spencer's question because it would be more simple, right, if – Matt's were the guy that were continuing to struggle because then you could just do it. You know, he it's like, okay, he's had his chance. It feels right It just based on the fact that he's struggled, and so that's the way that, that it needs to go. Well, he hasn't struggled as much the last couple of outings, and long-term, that's what the Cardinals need to hope for. They need to hope he can become a stable part of the rotation because he is part of the mix for 2024, uh, at least from a contractual basis. Trevor suggests getting to, to winning 10 out of 11 so that they will have climbed out of the hole a bit at that point. Uh, I mean, sure, win the next five. That would be Cardinals would not have a problem with that. One more turn through the rotation, they'd be like five games under still. But look at the, I mean, look at the rest of this division. I got to catch up on what's going on in the rest of the division in terms of like the last couple days. But the Pirates, I have basically already begun to ignore them. And we know the Cardinals, uh, and yeah, the Pirates have continued to lose. The Brewers, bouncing back a little bit to uh, take over first place. 
the, the Pirates won't be back in first, I don't think, for the rest of the year. And uh, they're they're riding the elevator down. You know, it's like you get into the elevator. It's like, oh, you're going up? Yeah, I'm, I'm going down. And so the Pirates think they're, they're going up because they had a nice start, but this elevator is actually going down uh, into the basement. And that's, uh, well, the Pirates will probably not finish last, but the Reds, uh, you know, the Reds and Pirates are, to credit to the Reds, though, I mean, they won 6 of 10, but I'm not, I don't think the Pirates are a threat anymore for the Central. It's Cardinals and Brewers. Lucky for the Cardinals, you get the Brewers this week, win the series. That is your job. Uh, it's got to be done. That's the way you can very quickly close this gap. You're seven and a half games back right now. Like, it's not insane. What's insane is the record. And the fact that you're still 15 and 25 feels gross. It, it should feel gross. But this is a division where 84, 85, 86 games, legitimately, though that amount of wins might get the job done. And so, for the Cardinals, it's just going to be about prioritizing the opportunities within the division that you do have. And there are fewer this year than there have been in years past because of the balanced schedule. But uh, this series against the Brewers coming up is going to be important. Um, and the Wilson stuff I'll get to on uh, when they when uh, when somebody asked about it. Okay, Trevor asked about it. <laughs> I should have just read the comments because I would have seen it right away. Uh, Caleb says that Wilson's pitch clock tactics are elite, and they are. Uh, J-Ro loves his gamesmanship, and Asher, I think, is just excited because the stream is, uh, is working again. I don't know. <laughs> but I'll talk about this because Wilson is indeed back to catching Monday. And I had said, if you had listened and been around, you guys know that I was pretty much a proponent of saying the next Wainwright start would be, would maybe be when they put him back in there because they could ease him in, right? If you're so concerned about his game calling and his preparation, why not do it on a night where you don't have to do any of that and you can at least get behind the plate and kind of re-familiarize yourself uh, with, with everything and learn a little bit from Wainwright as you go if he's calling his own game via Pitchcom. Well, I think the Cardinals are making a very specific point to have Jack Flaherty be the guy that catches, or I should say that pitches to Wilson Contreras the next time he comes out. Because you remember after Jack Flaherty gave up 10 runs, he was really upset in the clubhouse that day. He said some things, and today I saw some quotes about him referencing some of the things that he had said. And I want to try to look up some of this because I I would hate to get any of it wrong in terms of uh, like trying to paraphrase on his behalf. But I will paraphrase because I won't be able to find it quickly enough. Some of the stuff that was said after that outing, I think it was a Thursday at Bush Stadium, like a day game. And it was a spot where Jack Flaherty had given up those 10 runs. And he said something to the effect of, like, they're they're throwing pitches that don't make sense. And I thought you could read that one of two ways. You could read that pitchers need to take responsibility and execute their locations on these pitches to where the pitches they're throwing begin to make sense. Or an alternate reading of that would be the catcher is calling pitches that don't make sense. I'm starting to think it was the second one because there was speculation. The Cardinals really have kept it tight lipped about the reasoning behind uh, the, the whole Wilson Contreras situation saga boiling over in the first place. I think you can connect some dots now and go, yeah, maybe Jack Flaherty wasn't happy with some things. You end up having that meeting between Ollie Marmel, Adam Wainwright, Wilson Contreras, and Jack Flaherty. He was also in that meeting that was kind of like the love fest on Contreras. After a couple of days of them just completely crapping on the guy as an organization, they go, oh, maybe it would benefit us to like give this guy a love pat and say, hey, we actually don't think you suck. Like It had to have felt pretty rough for Wilson for those couple of days beginning Saturday 
when Trace Barrera gets called up and he has to tell the media in the clubhouse in Chicago, I'm happy for Trace. I love the guy. Didn't know he was coming. Nobody told Wilson. I mean, the the communication was absolutely bunk. It was pathetic by the Cardinals for the first couple of days of this. I feel comfortable saying that. You've heard it from every which every which outlet nationally. People are scratching their heads. You've got people like Buster Olney saying that the days of Wilson Gutierrez being the everyday catcher in St. Louis are over, not because Buster Olney is a big dummy, but because he was asking the executives from around the league because that's what he does, and that was the impression that you that people were getting from this Cardinals debacle around baseball. They were all wrong, but part of that was the messaging of the Cardinals. Like everybody was just reading the headlines that were coming across and what the Cardinals were saying in their quotes. And they weren't very clear about it within the first couple of days. Literally, you can go back and there was a quote from Ollie Marmel. He was asked about like, is this going to be short term? Like Wilson's going to be the catcher again. Right. And he said, well, not necessarily. That's a, a quote. He, it was not a given in the way that Ollie was talking about it initially. And then the, they were going to play him in the outfield and all these things. Quickly, they realized that they had messed this whole thing up and they had bungled it. And they began to try to put the toothpaste back into the tube, which we know you can't do. And so they were going to have some egg on their face. And we heard time and time again from Ollie Marmel, yes, we're going to have egg on our face. He didn't say that exact word, but he said, it's not going to make sense to anybody in the public. And that's fine. We're like, this is literally our choice to go about it this way. And I'll wear it. I will wear it the way that it looks, the way that it sounds. And we know it won't make sense to anybody, but that's because we're keeping some of this internal. I don't know what those internal things were, but I do anticipate sort of a a belief that Jack Flaherty was maybe involved in some of this because of the way he talked about it today. And it was like the way you would read Jack Flaherty's quotes about it today was like a retrospective on we're out of the woods now with this and we can kind of open up just a teensy bit about the way that it went. That's kind of the way that I read some of the stuff from Jack that I saw uh, today. This was from John Denton earlier today. Some quotes from Jack Flaherty. And this is from John Denton right from his tweet. Flaherty on him pushing for Contreras to return to catching duties on Monday because this is something that Contreras and Flaherty, keywords from the organization, Flaherty wanted to be able to be the guy to throw to Wilson in his first game back. And Flaherty said, what was said a few weeks ago was out of frustration and was more about myself in terms of executing pitches and making pitches, and that's something I haven't done. Right. Remember, I said there's one of two readings you could make on that that line from Flaherty. And he's saying here what was said a few weeks ago that was out of frustration. And I was really meaning in terms of executing pitches. And and that's something that I haven't done. But like, is it conceivable that Wilson got wind of that and thought of it differently? And then maybe there was a little bit of a of a kerfuffle over that or some some people, you know, maybe just a miscommunication over that. Like, that's kind of what I'm looking at it to say, like this. This isn't the smoking gun to say that Flaherty actually did mean Contreras wasn't calling the right pitches. But if you look at the quote, like why it's kind of strange to bring it up again. Right. And I'll admit that I'm not at in Boston. So I don't know the way the question was asked. Jack has asked a question. He's got to answer the question. And so it's not like he's just said, Hey media, I have a thing I want to say, Hey, what I said a few weeks ago was out of frustration. I, I didn't mean it about Contreras, but that's kind of like protesting too much. But if he was asked specifically about it, then maybe the quote might read a little bit differently. So the media literacy part of this, I think, is important, and I don't want to uh, come on too strongly with, hey, this is obviously what happened because w- without me being in the room, we're just kind of parsing tweets, and that can be a little bit uh, more difficult to do. And, and then he continued saying, quote, whoever's behind the plate isn't going to change that, the execution of it. It's on me to execute. I love having uh, Wilson back there, and he gives you the confidence that with competitive 
with the competitiveness that he has. Looking forward to it. It'll be fun. Uh, he and I have attacked Milwaukee before. Uh, Ollie Marmel had said, quote, this is what they wanted. They both wanted it. Wilson wanted to be behind the plate on Monday. We felt really good about lining it up that way with all the progress we've made. They're still not saying anything of actual substance, right? So could this have just been, hey, we had our love our love fest moment and the bygones are bygones, and if maybe we didn't see eye to eye on something before, now we're going to be on the same page and we're going to be very upfront and vocal about being on the same page so that everybody across baseball understands that you know the St. Louis Cardinals have Wilson's back. Like To me, it kind of reads as if Jack was one of the ones that there were some issues after after that 10 earned run outing, whether it was he intended to mean Contreras is doing wrong or he didn't intend to mean that way, but Wilson took it that way. Any of these things I think are are conceivably possible. And maybe behind the scenes, they just felt like, hey, this is the way we're going to handle this. We don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to try and sit here and claim to know, but I think it's fair with the the double secret probation that the Cardinals have put on top of this rather than just tell us what it was. And, uh, you know, they've been asked numerous times, which is is their prerogative not to go into detail. Because, again, if the answer really is, yeah, there was some internal conflict that we don't want to publicize because it wouldn't look good. Right. But without any more information, it's OK for us to speculate on it. I, I think that's perfectly within reason. And so I kind of feel like, hey, we're we're going the extra mile to show Jack Flaherty is catching Wilson Contreras. And I feel like there's a reason for that. It's not negative. I think it makes all the sense in the world from a PR perspective. But what has to happen is a good performance from Jack Flaherty, right? Like, and and he's had games with Andrew Kisner since. He's had games. He just hasn't really been himself recently. And imagine, like, we look at Jack Flaherty's ERA right now, 6.18, and you go, that is not what we're used to seeing from Jack Flaherty when he's healthy. And that's not even a number five in your rotation if somebody's performing that way. So that is problematic for this Cardinals team. But let's live in a world for a moment. Like you just saw two comeback victories in a row. Can we can we dream for a second? Let's live in a world and imagine that Jack Flaherty flips a switch and becomes the Jack Flaherty that he's capable of being. Suddenly the Cardinals have added an ace to their rotation. And I'm not saying that there's any like legitimate tell that, that shows me that's about to happen. But for me, I'm purely talking from a vibes perspective. If the vibes were off and now they're back on between him and Wilson Contreras and that manifests into a really good outing from Flaherty, that can be a game changer for the Cardinals rotation because they do not have the guy that can be that number one right now consistently. They've got guys that want to do it. Jordan Montgomery wants to do it. He's had games where he's done it, but he's also had multiple where he's kind of gotten blown up and, and it hasn't been the kind of blow up that, you know, it's it's a Steven Matz tonight, five innings, three runs, and you get away with it with eight or nine hits, but you're, you you keep your team in the game. No, the couple of times that Jordan has gotten blown up, the Cardinals have not had a chance to win those games. Happened this week when uh, my co-host on the big show, Andy, said that the Cubs knocked up Jordan Montgomery, meant to say that he knocked him around. Again, at KTGR Big Show on Twitter. Y'all want to check that out. It was a very funny clip. And so, like, that was one of them. And the other one was when he gave up, like, six runs in a fourth inning way back earlier in April, I think it was, at Bush Stadium, whenever that was. And that was another factor. So he wants to be that ace, but we haven't seen it consistently from Jordan Montgomery. We know Adam Wainwright expects to be that guy. I'm just saying through two outings, he hasn't yet been. So uh, to have that from Jack Flaherty, who I consider still to be the guy with the highest upside in the rotation, the highest ceiling, it's not to say he's always going to reach his ceiling, or that he's going to reach it as often as somebody else that has a lower one. But he's got the highest ceiling. He's got the best pure stuff when he's on his game. And so if Jack Flaherty could be that guy on Monday with Wilson, 
this Cardinals, like, wouldn't that be something? You finish off a sweep in Boston. Let's say they win on Sunday, which Miles Michaelis, I believe, on the mound, certainly capable of winning that game, uh, going against Corey Kluber, so not a lefty this time. You'll see Gorman back in the three-hole, I presume. Imagine they get that sweep and then a shove from Jack Flaherty on Monday. What are the percent chances of that happening? Well, yeah, coin flip game to win on Sunday, say 50%. And then for Flaherty to shove in a way that we haven't seen all year, is that like a a 25% probability in and of itself, maybe less? So we're talking about not a particularly likely set of events, but if that were to happen in a row, I would say this Cardinals season is certified saved. And they would still be 17 and 25 at the time. But I think the, the vibes are really immaculate right now. And sometimes when you see the things that you've seen from this Cardinals team so far this year, we can operate in a vibes economy. And I'm, I'm okay with that. The analysis sucks because I, you know, well, you're talking about vibes. Yeah. I think those are important when you had a team that was what, 10 and 24. Sometimes you just need some vibes to go your way. And the Cardinals are vibing right now. It would be really good. I think to see them have a Michaelis outing. That's at least like a six innings, two runs and win a gritty game again on Sunday. And then win on Monday, one nothing because because Jack Flaherty has a Jack Flaherty outing. I think you probably couldn't draw it up any better than that. Like I said, I'll give it like a twelve percent chance that both of those things happen. Now they could win both the games. That's a higher than that's at least a twenty five percent chance. But that it's because Jack Flaherty puts the team on his back in the first Wilson Contreras game back because then all the questions are answered right about Contreras. Nobody has a narrative left about Wilson Contreras. I've said the Cardinals have to wear the way they've talked about it because it's been ridiculous. Objectively, hasn't made any sense. And they know that. But I'm still kind of talking about it because I feel like they need to kind of wear that in the public eye. And I've got 50 people watching me right now. So I'll say it to those 50. They're like, dude, the Cardinals, this was ridiculous, right? But what have I maintained throughout the entire process too? It can turn around and end up being for the better. And the way that happens in a very quick, swift manner is by Wilson Contreras catching a Jack Flaherty gem on Monday. And then, poof, all of the worry and concern is going to melt away for this team. Like, they're that close to being able to do that, but they still have to do it. And we could be talking about something else on Monday as well. We could be talking about another bad Flaherty outing, and then they lose, and then we still feel like all of these these angsty questions are still bubbling to the surface, and they would be right to do so. It's not automatic, that the little picture I just painted is going to play out. But if it did, if it did, remember, we were dreaming for a moment, right? If it did, the Cardinals would be in a lot of a different situation. Uh, Connor asking for insight on what's going on with Walker. He's been struggling with Memphis. I haven't, I haven't really watched him. I haven't really watched him. And so it's hard for me to say, Um, but like, I just think of it from a human element, right? Because I'm not going to be able to, dissect and and analyze at bats that I have admitted to not watching yet this season. You know, there's a lot going on. I just haven't watched a lot of minor league stuff yet. But from just a, a human perspective, like, I think it's fine for him to have a little bit of this challenge, right? Because he's a guy that they expected so much of. They put so much on his shoulders by putting him in the big leagues out of spring when he didn't have a, he had a great start to the spring, but then he trailed off a little bit. But then he came out and, and he proved that he was big enough for the moment, that he was mature enough for the moment. But then he kind of tailed off a little bit and they decided to to send him down. I don't know if it was the right decision. I still don't think it was. I said at the time I would have done it differently. And remember, that was right at the beginning of that like eight-game losing streak. So, or, or right in the midst of that road trip that went so poorly. 
and now he's got a 543 OPS in, in AAA. I think it's still a small sample size. I think he's going to be just fine. But there's a human element where he's got to go through some of the mental struggles, the trials and tribulations right now that he's having. And so I don't think it's the end of the world. It's honestly a good time in his career to be going through these things um, because, you know, it, it it's it's going to be a learning experience for him, I think, in the long run. Um, it is, though, a little bit unfortunate that, uh, you know, about to turn 21 in, in nine days or whatever, and he's kind of going through some struggles right now in the minors instead of maybe, you know, beginning of April, he thought he, he pictured a much different 21st birthday, just, you know, being with the big league club and, and having success. Those are things that I think long, long-term are going to be good for Jordan Walker, but I'm not worried about him one iota. Um, that's just where I am on it. Asher says we own Kenley Jansen. Well, Nolan Gorman certainly does, certainly seems to. Uh, Jay Tiger asks when they call up Libby, will it take an injury? Yeah, honestly, I think it'll take an injury. And he'll be the first call they make when there is one, if there is one, and there will be one. It's a long season. But I just don't think right now you can look at each of the five starters and it's hard to pinpoint who you take out due to performance. Um, if Jack Flaherty had two more abysmal starts, could they do something? I guess. But it's kind of like that for me. I just don't... Because like Wainwright's going to have a couple more starts and if they're bad, they'll still run him out there because it, it would have only been... Four, and so they'd said, well, he needs a longer leash than these other guys. It, like Flaherty, if he had two really bad ones, sorry for the hiccups, like then maybe. I just don't think realistically they have anybody they can remove. Montgomery, you're not taking him out. Michaelis, they just gave him a massive, well, not massive, but a pretty hefty uh, extension to be a starter for two more years for them. So I don't think that's in play. Yeah, I think it will take an injury, Jay Tiger, and that's not fair to Libertor, but that's where they're at. Do I think Matts gets to stay in the rotation after this outing? I don't even think it's a conversation or a question. Absolutely. He's he's uh, he is safe for another start and probably multiple. Uh, Nate says, just discovered the channel in the last week, enjoying the thoughts and insights. Thank you, Nate. And anybody else who's new, like you're, I want to talk to the person right now who's sitting there and you haven't subscribed and you're like, I'm not the type to comment. You don't even have to comment, but go ahead and subscribe because then you'll be able to comment. But I want to see us build this up and have, New people like Nate join and go, hey, even if Brendan is wrong 80% of the time, at least he's here at midnight with us talking Cardinals baseball um, because that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying not to be wrong 80% of the time, by the way, um, but I'm not going to be right every time, and I try not to pretend like I'm going to. I don't want to give off that air either, um, but I want to be able to engage with you guys because I feel like that's important. Um, there are going to be times when I disagree with you. You're going to disagree with me, but I feel like in the long run, we're all going to learn. Like I have learned things from, from doing these that y'all bring up ideas that I would not have thought of. And that's, I, I'm not blowing smoke up your asses. I, I enjoy it because of that. I really do. Uh, Spencer mentions that Gorman needs to be in the lineup every day, even against lefties. I don't care. And like, it, I thought that was good. And I believe Katie wrote about this over the weekend. Katie Wu of the athletic, um, kind of a, a little bit of an insight into what and why they're doing it the way they're doing what I would add, though, to that, and if you're an athletic subscriber, go check it out for sure um, because she's in Boston and has those quotes that I wouldn't be able to provide you from, like, the people that are involved. But from just on on the sideline for this, this series in Boston, I look at what they've actually done and the fact that Gorman has had the two biggest swings of the weekend, and they got to literally plop him into those moments. They wouldn't have been able to do that otherwise, and so... I talked about it a little bit earlier, but it is kind of 
two sides of the same coin where you go, I could see the benefit of the way they've done it. For his benefit long term, yes, he needs to play every day because it's not fair to take a 22, 23, 24-year-old top prospect and say, you're a part-time player. Like, for the course of his career, I don't think that's fair to Nolan Gorman, who, you know, is is a stud and is going to struggle against left-handed pitching. But how can he become, and this is going to sound dumb, but like, Hall of Fame baseball players didn't get that way because they were protected throughout the course of their career, right? Like, I'm not saying Nolan Gorman's going to be a Hall of Famer, but if I'm Nolan Gorman, like, I want to be the best. I want to play baseball every day. That's what I do. I don't care who's pitching, but in fairness to him, he's got to be able to uh, have a little bit of room to fail, to grow and get better and learn what he's doing wrong in those at-bats against lefties. And if he doesn't take any, he's never going to get there. So it is tricky. It falls in line with the kinds of conversations we've had about former Cardinals like Patrick Wisdom, Sandy Alcantara, um, guys that it's like in the roles that they would have had with the Cardinals, they never would have turned into the players that they've become because they wouldn't have had the chance to fail every day at the big league level, to play and to fail and then to play again the next day or five days from then in the rotation in the case of a starter like Sandy. I think there's value to that. And it's part of the development challenges that I think the Cardinals face because we've talked about player development a lot recently. It's kind of fallen off a little bit for the Cardinals, pitching-wise in particular, but it, there there have been some disappointing developments in terms of offensive uh, players as well. I would say, though, on the offensive side, at least there are guys like Newt Bar, like Donovan, that have emerged and have done really nice jobs. But then again, if you read the Lars Newt Bar Players' Tribune article, a lot of what he you know would, would probably attribute his rise to prominence to is the cage work that he was doing uh, with his buddies strapped up to a, a you know some of the analytic data stuff in a in a cage at USC during COVID in 2020. Check out that Players Tribune article from Lars because it is a really good insight into not only his personality and they talk about the World Baseball Classic and all that stuff, but also like how he got better enough to turn into a legit like he was never a prospect necessarily like he I mean, he was on some of those prospect lists. But, like, to turn into a bona fide guy with the Cardinals, he put in a ton of work during the COVID uh, session in 2020 when the minor leagues didn't play. And so, kind of interesting to see that. But development-wise, like, the Cardinals have lagged behind in some areas. And the Gorman one is really interesting because how can he ever reach his full potential if they don't give him the chance to play daily? Is a is It's a quandary the Cardinals are going to have to struggle with. And I understand both sides of it. Um, this weekend, I'm glad they didn't start him if I'm a Cardinals fan because they probably don't win those games because they can't pick, hey, the most high leverage at bat of the game, we're going to get this guy to face a righty, which is advantage St. Louis. And they did it twice, and it worked both times. So while I totally agree with you, Spencer, that eventually he needs to play daily, uh, it worked out for the best, I think, the way, it, the way it's gone the last two days, which is fascinating baseball conversation. To me, there's nothing better than that kind of conversation because I think there's merit to both sides of the argument, um, and that makes it a lot of fun. Subscribe to the channel if you guys haven't. I was really excited today that we got over 700 subs on the YouTube, youtube.com slash at bshafer12. If you're listening on Spotify right now, I'm talking to you. Uh, it's Sunday, you're listening, and you're like, I've never done YouTube. YouTube.com slash at Schaefer 12 Give it a try and at least sub on the channel so that I can get that uh, that subs up. Because when we get to 1,000, it's going to be a party. Um, that's what I'm that's what I'm working toward, guys. So tell your friends. Uh, J-Rose says, fun baseball stat. Sale has an average of 11-plus strikeouts in his career. Um, that's insane. 11 Ks per nine. That is insane. 
I wouldn't have I would have thought surely he had some down years, but I think even when Sale has struggled and has a high ERA, he's still missing enough bats to get to get those uh, K rates up pretty high. Uh, Felix, what's up, man? Felix said that Kenley made Helsley's playoff blow up look like nothing. Helsley's playoff blow up was because he was injured and lost the feeling in his fingers. I think after uh, that that first inning that he came out, like again. That is one of the biggest flukes in card. I'm going to say it, that it's one of the biggest flukes in Cardinals baseball history, and that you're going to go, "Wow, that is hyperbole just to get clicks." Fine, you might think that. I'm telling you, with how dominant Ryan Helsley was last year, the fact that he slips and falls and tries to catch himself picking up a grounder on a Tuesday in Pittsburgh in September, and the fact that that ends basically the Cardinals' season a few days later when the game plan with Jose Quintana starting game one of the wild card series against Philly was literally executed to a T for the Cardinals to win a hell of a grind them out sort of game. And then know that Ranger Suarez was on tap for, for a potential game three. So even losing game two wouldn't have, wouldn't have mattered. Like, I mean, man, that's crazy to me. That's a huge ass fluke. It just is. Helsley was dominant last year. And he just wasn't healthy. And there could have been ma- different decisions made. They could have not pitched him. They could have not had him go do an up-down with a potential injury looming. It, they didn't think he was hurt. All of those things. Mistakes were made. We realized that it didn't go the way that you wish it did. But it is so fluky. So I, I agree, Felix. Like, Kenley's was way worse because he was having a meltdown over pitch clock and all that good stuff. But Ryan Helsley, I, I hardly place any of the blame with him for what happened last year because I understand the the mind of a competitor in that moment is not thinking, oh, Tuesday I got hurt. That's what's happening. You're thinking, make that next pitch. Let's go win a World Series. So I can totally understand how that got out of hand the way it did. Miles, what do we think of Ollie's in the front office's plan with Gorman now? Two pinch hits, two massive hits. Getting difficult to bench him and, he, uh, and to continue to play Kisner. Best hitter this year, good problem to have. Yeah, so Kisner, I think, deserves credit for for wearing this the way that he has the last week. He started every game. He's he's like Yachty-esque Iron Man because the Cardinals need him to because God bless Trace Barrera, but you can't exactly put him in there every day or at all um, other than like to fill in in the ninth inning like he did today because the whole thing is continuity with the starters, and that has been the issue that they were talking about with Contreras. Barrera is there as an emergency guy, and he's probably – Part of this with the Jack Flaherty catching Contreras thing that I neglected to mention earlier, and I saw the comment on Twitter and thought it was funny. I think Ben Godar, of he does the Cardinals Off Day podcast, I believe, um, made this point. Sounds like Tyler O'Neill is about ready to come back off the IL, huh? And I thought, that's pretty funny, and it might be exactly right because Wilson's got to come back and catch because Barrera, they need the roster spot. Like, is it that simple? I don't know. Um, but it wouldn't be surprising to see Tyler O'Neill back within the next week or so, um, or, or maybe even sooner based on, based on that. So we'll see. I don't know if that was accurate or not, but I, I did get a laugh out of that tweet today. Now I'm getting into the, uh, t- the, the comments about the stream sucking. I'm going to see if anybody got a really funny one. Uh, Trevor mentioning the spectrum to T-Mobile. We'll see. I like Connor saying it was spectrum's revenge. Um, some people are saying it started to work. <laughs> I was typing that I'm sorry. And Asher's like, buddy, it's glitching. I'm like, dude, I know there's not a thing I can do about it. And then everybody bounced back with me. So here's what I guess I would say. And Brickton said he left the stream and came back and it was good. I would recommend just trying that next time. Um, it, it'll be guess and check, but we'll learn together. But I am going to move my stuff around and, and hopefully eventually by, uh, 
you know, all-star break, we'll have a, a locked and loaded stream that never messes up. Fingers crossed, right? But appreciate you guys for sticking with me. Obviously, we've been able to still have uh, a fun stream tonight with uh, about an hour into the thing. Uh, let's see. Ryan Ryan C wants to do an everyday Gorman, and Redbirds just says Donovan is very good. Were y'all impressed by Donovan as much as I was? Like that, I, I couldn't stop. I couldn't shut up about it. I was at a party tonight, and these people aren't even baseball fans. I was like, no, you don't understand. He stood there, and he, he didn't run to second base. It was perfect. It was a it was a decoy. No, I didn't do that. But I really was impressed by that play, and I couldn't I could not get over it. Um, and Brendan spelled correctly. Brendan L. says, uh, if you're lagging, just reset. Just refresh your YouTube, and it might help. Uh, Asher agrees. Heads up play by Donovan. He's a ball player, dude. And, like, I Cardinals fans, I know the way y'all think, and you get you get giddy about that kind of play. I know you like that as much as I did watching it. Miles says, "I love baseball. It's a good. It's like a good game of chess. Extremely smart plays like that win games single handedly. It doesn't happen often in other sports. I love it. That's exactly right. And what do we do when we think about the Cardinals and the Cardinal way and the way they have won games and the the style that they have prided themselves upon over the years? It's stuff exactly like that, isn't it?" It's Wilson Contreras. First of all, it's going back in spring training, and, and as a team, you'd like to think they could do this, but Wilson takes it to the next level, to a level that like nobody else would even feel comfortable attempting, and he just does it every day, which I love. But when we think about the Cardinal way, and not like in the way that's like other fan bases mock it, and it's a it's you know kind of corny and funny, all those things can be true depending on the day and depending on the way things are going. But, like, when George Kissel was talking about the Cardinal way, and they still bring this guy's name up because of how influential he was, I mean, Mike Schilt worshipped at the altar. He had the black book on his desk, and if you ever put your recording device on it, he wouldn't yell at you. He would just move it. I mean, that's – and I get Mike Schilt's not the manager anymore, but these guys – they this organization still subscribes to that. And, yes, there needs to be a modernization to the approach to include analytics – but there will always be room in the game for the kind of stuff that we saw today, which is what are the rules that we have to play by and how can we use them to our advantage? That's baseball, baby. And Wilson Contreras was playing baseball today. His ability to know and to find a rhythm, and it's guess and check. Sometimes he's going to get the the call on him and if he's not in the box or whatever, but he has mastered it. And I'm afraid that baseball is going to step in. MLB is going to step in at some point and say, all right, we technically did make these rules up to speed the game along. And so to tell a pitcher, you know, that he's not allowed to whatever. But, I mean, then they're going to turn around and say, hey, the batter's got to be able to to get comfortable, and we're well within our right with, with nine, ten seconds left on that clock to be doing the things that Wilson is doing. So MLB, how can you, you know, it's going to be a back and forth if they try to do anything about it. But the Cardinals should be that organization that looks at the new rules and says, how can we exploit these? And Wilson Contreras... I mean, you're telling me he's not a good cultural fit for the Cardinals. I don't think I can agree with that with what we're seeing uh, in this respect. Just really smart baseball by him. Brendan Donovan, absolutely just an absolute. I I don't even think you can use the word gym rat when it comes to baseball because that's more of like a basketball term. Um, I don't know how often they're in the gym. I guess the, 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 the cage can be kind of like the gym. But he is a baseball rat and makes those kinds of plays all the time. But today was the most impressed I've ever been with, like, Brendan Donovan doing one of the little things. Uh, he's BFD for a reason. That was, I was blown away by a guy who comes in, takes a pinch hit at bat. They don't even throw him a pitch. He doesn't see a pitch in the entire game. Wasn't a pinch runner technically, but he's given first base and makes one of the biggest impactful plays of the game as a base runner. 
it's just I, I cannot stop lauding the play because it was so impressive and so important to the outcome. You cannot tell me with a straight face that that did not impact the throw to first. I thought there's no way Burleson's getting there. And uh, maybe he would have anyway, but the throw was offline, and that scores the go-ahead run, which, you know, they, they didn't end up scoring any more runs in the inning. So that was huge for the Cardinals to be able to get that in that spot. Heads-up play indeed by Donovan. Uh, I, I I can't stop talking about it. It was so cool. Uh, Caleb, it was a big play. Lost shortstops probably make a good throw there, but with uh, Kike's inexperience at short, it worked out perfectly. You got to know the, the, the opposition, right? And you know, hey, this may not be a throw he's had to face a lot of times. I can damn well bet he hasn't faced it with a guy standing there like Waldo, like, hey, what's going on? Like, he just stood there until the point that he dropped down to a knee because he wasn't going to risk, you know, the ball hitting him and then they leave it up to an umpire. No, 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 no. He's going to do everything right on that play and uh, absolutely, I think, broke the concentration of uh, Kike Hernandez. Just a, a really heads-up play. Uh, when will Burleson get sent down for Walker? That's the move you're waiting for. So I think it's fair to ask. Walker's been struggling at Memphis, but like Walker should not have to earn his way back onto the, the team the same way that Palante should not have to uh, when they sent him to Memphis. I was like, Palante should be back in 15 days. That's that's the deal. It took him a little longer than that, but he did make his way back. Um, I, I feel like he's got to have at least a couple of good games, though, Walker, to get back. The problem is with that specific question there, uh, Trevor, Burleson, left-handed bat, they like him against righties. That's why he came into the spot today. Walker would not be a guy to pinch hit for um, DeYoung in that spot today. And granted, Burleson didn't do the job that I thought he should have done by lifting the ball into the air. He hit the double play ball, sort of, and they just found a way out of it. Um, And then, by the way, incredible play by Burleson and left. When they went into the bottom of the ninth inning, and you're telling me it's Burleson and left, Newbar on center, Donovan and right, I was like, Bro, if they hit one into the right center gap or the left center gap, you could just imagine a defensive miscue in the outfield ruining all of the the goodwill the Cardinals had built up with that comeback. Um, but it was correct to have that outfield because you had to go for the gusto, empty the bench. I love that Ollie did it because there have been games this year where he could have emptied the bench in a losing effort and, and just to kind of shoot his shot, and they didn't. And you're left going, well, what, what good does it do you to have an extra middle infielder on your bench at the end of nine innings when you lost like none. And so I really appreciated the aggression there, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was something else uh, scrolling back up for some reason. Kenley forgets how to pitch against the Cardinals. He's had this type of meltdown uh, with Atlanta last year. Yeah. His numbers against the Cardinals are bad. I don't know what it is over the course of time. I mean, I know what it was today and yesterday, but uh, kind of crazy that it's, that's been that way over the course of uh, his history. J-Row says that Burley and Yepes played plus outfield defense today. Yeah, Burley had just the one play, and he he got it done. Yepes, um, I wouldn't say he did play plus. Remember that play against the wall that he le- leapt for, did not catch it? And at first I thought, oh, it, it clanged off the metal wall, nothing he could do. I think it literally hit him in the glove, and he didn't catch it. That's hard to do. That wall is very unique. It's metal. There's freaking numbers sticking out of it like it's a joke. But it's also Fenway, so it's really cool. Like, you kind of take the good with the bad. At least there's no, like, uh, you know, plants that are overgrowing the the brick wall out there. Like another ballpark we could mention. No, I love Wrigley, too. I'm just playing. But I would say that uh, the the play that Yep has made there was a, a little bit of a, a suspect attempt at the catch. But he did have somebody thrown out, as J-Row mentioned, um, Threw a couple of good balls into second base, and one of them was an easy out at second. I couldn't believe they went for that. 
I believe that was back in the first inning when that first run scored. Uh, but Broadster asked, did Yepes make contact at all today? Uh, fair. I guess I don't know the answer to that, but he did go over with three Ks. So, um, not in, not contact that was in play anyway. How come nobody's talking about Goldie being in first in the NL and doubles? Because the, the way Paul Goldsmith works is that he's just like the quiet superstar until he wins the MVP because everybody was like, we can't be quiet about this anymore. Um, but I didn't know he was leading the NL in doubles. Uh, he didn't have a hit today, but he still uh, reached base via walk, scored a run, OPS of 927. He's a dude. Uh, Arenado with the homer is up to 686 on the OPS. That's good to see. Gorman's at 920. Donovan's back above 700. DeYoung is at 942, but he was over today with a couple of Ks. I need him to stay above 750, and I also need him to play every day so that guy from Twitter can give me $1,000 on Venmo. Probably not going to happen. I would say that DeYoung's OPS is going to be between like 710 and 760, so he might clear that 750, but I don't think he gets the 400 plate appearances uh, that I needed in that non-bet that somebody tweeted at me. Ryan C. would bench Yepes and Kiz. Again, we y'all know that Wilson is catching on Monday, right? Like, he's the catcher again. So, I think, you know, Kiz is going to play some, but uh, not, not as much as he has been. Drew says, I don't think you can sit Gorman forever against lefties if he hits this well all year. I get it, but remember, he's hitting this well against righties. He's not doing it against lefties. Um, so, it's... It's one of those deals. You didn't know he was going to be a good uh, pinch hitter. Only risk with Gorman's pinch hit homer was that his first hit as a pinch hitter this year, only his second ever as a pinch hitter. Uh, I don't think that there's any validity to that. No offense. The way I look at, like, I don't think it's like a deal where, oh, is somebody a good pinch hitter or not? I guess there, I guess that becomes a thing for a guy over the course of a career. But Gorman's in his second season, and he was a rookie, a part-time rookie last year who's still got sent to Memphis, and, you know, I don't really think you can know about a guy at 23 or 24 years old if he's able to be a pinch hitter or not. Um, at least I would say you can't know he's going to fail as a pinch hitter or assume that he would. There there are some guys who at a young age, like a Yepes would come to mind, where he has taken tough at-bats. A Jose Martinez is another great example of a guy that when he first came up, and he wasn't young either, he was uh, a guy who had spent a lot of time in the minor leagues, but remember when he first came up, he was always the guy to face Aroldis Chapman or to face those tough at-bats, those closers, and he would always, 100 miles per hour, doesn't matter, he would always like put bat to ball and, and make contact or at least give a tough A-B off the bench. Some guys are better at that than others, but I don't think that the notion of Gorman being this young and you already being able to say he's not a good pinch hitter, so, so that was risky to have him be a pinch hitter in those two spots. Nah, I don't really think. I don't really think you can know is all, Nate. I just think it's too early to have been able to know that. Um, but I do like your comment about Goldie with the doubles. I didn't know. I wasn't aware of that. Uh, Patrick says, very refreshing to see Nato looking more like himself. The timing is better. The swing is more assertive. The swing is more assertive, and his face was more assertive. I'm telling you, when he walked off the field, it wasn't walking in the end of the sixth inning. It was running, getting that batting helmet, and like he was putting on the war paint. I was like, I told myself before the break, let me watch this A.B. from Nolan very intently because I think he's going to do something. And he roped another one over the monster. He hates that monster, dude. I think he's just trying to hit it, but he keeps getting under it a little bit. And so it's a home run every time. Crazy. Uh, by the way, Kisner, we're hating on Kisner tonight, apparently. He had that hit to right field that would have been a homer in seven of 30 ballparks, the uh, the the Twitter account said. I thought it would have been more. I'd take the over. 
I don't, I don't, I know I look at those things when it benefits me. It's like, oh, it would have been a home run in every ballpark. See, this was great. When it benefits me, I look at it. Otherwise, I go, nah, I don't trust your data. I think it would have been a home run in more than seven. But I also think that right field is just such a weird thing at Fenway. But again, I like Fenway Park. I like the parks that are different. Uh, there aren't that many of them. Pretty cookie cutter for the most part in Major League Baseball. Fenway is about as crazy as it gets. And I I don't think I could do it like watching 162 games of a team there. But I enjoy when the Cardinals go there and you get to kind of have a little insight into that. Arnado's a pole hitter. Who would have thought? Yeah, right. He's pulling all these home runs. And I don't, Trevor, I don't think it's as simple as, you know, the reports were coming out that he was trying to fix his swing to be able to go the opposite way more. And he did yesterday, right? He had that triple. Wasn't that yesterday? Uh, had the triple to the opposite field. One of the recent games he did. And so, like, he, he maybe has better coverage of the plate right now than he had been having, and that could be to his benefit. I don't know. Um, but I do think it was a case where that got overblown because, obviously, the more he was struggling, it's not like he was being stubborn and saying, I'm going to stick to this. I really need to get an opposite field backside homer so that I can tell Andrew Kisner to shut up because he teased me last year about never going backside. Uh, when, you know, like I don't think it's that at all. Um, I think he was toying with the swing and then got stuck where he then just couldn't find any sort of swing. Even it's not like he was being stubborn about making changes. It was he was just going through a rut and he's out of it. I told you it would it'd be fine and he's he's out of it now. It's done. He's fine. He's going to be Nolan Arenado again. I've seen enough to declare it. I feel good about that. Um, and we'll see if I'm right. Oh, let's see who else we got. Ryan C. Doesn't matter. Kisner's career average of 200 is not changing. Wilson, everyday catcher. Wilson's going to play pretty much every day. He's going to play often. But uh, J. Rowe mentioning that um, Kiz has been solid the last week and a half. And I think that he has been. And that's a tough ask for a guy that, didn't expect it, right? He he figures he's going to be the backup play a couple times a week. And he's he's answered the bell and I think, again, looked a little better at the plate because he is kind of a rhythm player, as J-Row mentions. Um, you do play the hot hand. He's not really been hot anymore, though, offensively. So it's going to be it's going to be fine when Wilson plays, you know, five out of seven games. I think that's what it's going to be. And it, and it probably should be that way. But don't discount Kiz as a backup either. I think he's a solid one. Um, you're saying, and Ryan C., this is where I fully disagree with you. There are so many better catchers than Kisner. We could have had Gary Sanchez as a backup. Did anyone sign Gary Sanchez? And is Gary Sanchez a good catcher? He can hit home runs. I'm not saying he wouldn't be a better hitter than Kisner, but I don't think he should be the Cardinals' backup catcher. The Cardinals need Kisner. I'm telling you, I'm not going to shy away from it. I think he's got value to the team. As you saw this week, he's been their catcher when they felt like they couldn't turn to anybody else. So I, I do think there is value to that. If you're paying attention to the the OPS of the backup catcher as one of your primary aspects of a team in determining whether they're doing right with their roster, I think you've got misaligned priorities. And that's kind of what the Cardinals got the, themselves caught up in a little bit when they decided we're going to, you know, just focus on getting the most expensive catcher and, and, and the guy that we think can, you know, hit a bunch, which is true, he can. And I'm not trying to bag on Contreras. I'm just saying what the Cardinals expected and what they sought out for, it it they thought it was going to be easier to just have that whole package be delivered on their doorstep without really putting the work in to get Wilson Contreras on the same page and prepared for what that was going to entail. Um, and they were so afraid of having Kisner play that that's what they decided to do. They thought we could just get this guy and it'll be perfect. Turns out it wasn't going to be that easy. And that's why I think Kisner's value was, even if he's not hitting a ton, guys, it doesn't matter. He's batting ninth. 
He's, you know, he's going to bat around 200. That's probably what he is. But I do believe there's value in what he brings to the table as a backup. Baker and Gomez at AAA, according to Eric. I like him, but why in the world is Yepes still there? Seems disposable with the with the need for pitching. Um, But what do you mean the need for pitching? Like, do you think somebody's going to trade good pitching for Yepes? I don't think they are. Like, if you think Yepes isn't good enough to be on the Cardinals, every other team might look at that and go, okay, I mean, we'll give you an arm that's no good if you want to trade him to us because we think we could plug him in at DH and maybe get him to be the next Adolis Garcia or whatever. Patrick Wisdom, like he can he can hit like those guys. I don't think the Cardinals are going to like be in a position of strength to say, hey, you know this guy that we have that's not really doing much at the big league level and so he kind of just rides our bench for the most part? Yeah, can we get a starter for him? Yeah, we need some pitching. Not going to work. So I'm not saying Yepes is not someone that they could trade in the right deal, but I don't think you just dump a guy because you're frustrated with him. Um, that's not the way you extract good value in trades. As for Baker, Luke and Baker, I don't think the Cardinals are paying him much mind. I do would I would like to see them call him up. I would almost rather see them trade him because he deserves to be somewhere where he can play. If he's good, great. If he's not, that will be shown in time at the big league level. But he's old enough. He's he's been through the Rule Five process already. Um, they haven't given him a chance. I'd like to see him get a chance somewhere. I'd like him to, to go to the Rockies and just mash. Um, but the Cardinals don't seem to believe that he offers value to the roster. You can keep asking. Uh, I just don't get the sense that the Cardinals are going to make that move. I would like to be wrong. As for Gomez, I should be a different story. I mean, I really think that he's put enough. Like, Baker has had a really good year. He wasn't good last year. Gomez has been mashing uh, going back to last year when they picked him up as a minor league free agent. I would love to see him get a, a shot. But, again, it's that crowded outfield. I just don't. It's nice to have those guys as depth, I think the Cardinals believe, but I don't think they're actually going to get to a spot where they use them. Trevor said Libertor over Flaherty, and I'm going to I'm gonna respect him enough to not even respond to that comment. Because, again, I get it. The number is 6180 RA. He's been their worst starter by ERA, I believe, Jack Flaherty. I don't expect that to continue. And with the veteran status that he has, I know you might not see him that way. Cardinals do, clearly. Um, I just, you don't, it's just, no. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Wilson should start. I hope he can keep hitting. We're going to need him. That's what Redbird says, and he's right. But in an unfortunate turn of events here, we have lost the stream. So I think for the Spotify purposes, there were a few more questions that I was able to get to here on Spotify that the uh, live stream for YouTube may not have included. So if you've listened this far, you may have learned some new things if you had been listening on the stream and then uh, decided to listen on Spotify as well. But I think we're going to wrap this episode of B-Shape Daily up there because uh, the, some of the questions, unfortunately, we did not get to. Uh, maybe I'm in a battle with a new internet service provider. I had gotten rid of Spectrum. Now we're trying out T-Mobile, and uh, maybe I'll be yelling at them on Twitter now because, unfortunately, uh, we did get knocked off tonight. But hope you guys enjoyed the stream. Well over an hour of uh, some good Cardinals content tonight. Appreciate you guys. As always, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.